0: New on CuriosityStream, grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow, <laughs> that's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, <laughs> hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. I grew up in a small community in the south of minnesota called saint gall we were eight families all loosely related uncles and aunts from both sides of my family along with grandparents and two outsider families not directly related by blood it was a remnant of the hippie era and my mother grew up out of there it was originally meant to be some sort of farming commune for people who wanted to live on their own terms without going completely Off the grid. It isn't like a religious gathering or a cult as many believe. It was all about a different way of life and living closer to the earth. My mother left St. Gall for a few years to study sociology, and that's where she met my dad. I was an accidental pregnancy, and my dad didn't want to stick around. My mother moved back to St. Gall and had me in the early 90s. I was born in the house I grew up in. Life out in St. Gall wasn't as odd as one might think. I still went to school, I just had to take an earlier bus. We still went into town at least once a week, and I had many friends that I got really close to over the years. Still, there was always that air of being different around me. My mom explained that a lot of the parents of the kids at school didn't like the people from St. Gall, because we were different, a bit odd. My mom was terrified of a lot of things, but mostly blood. That was her number one fear, and if I ever hurt myself, she would try to cover it up as fast as possible. It was strange, because I saw kids skin their knees at school all the time without anyone freaking out. I never hurt myself like that, since my mom was adamant about me being needlessly careful. It came to the point where I sometimes had to wear elbow and knee guards to school, which landed me in plenty of trouble from bullies but my childhood came and went elementary school turned into middle school which turned into high school things got rough then fast on the best of days I was a gall kid but most of the time they just called me Jesus freak, cultist or even school shooter I was branded as an outsider without there ever really being a reason I guess that's just what it's like being a teenager I also refused to take the precautions my mother asked me to I stopped wearing elbow and knee guards to gym class. Our teacher had a deal where kids could go to the gym instead of playing team sports, but I was tired of being separated. I'd compromise with my mom by wearing several layers of clothes, but I'd usually just wait for her to be out of sight before I took something off. If she ever knew I was pretty good at both soccer and basketball, she'd have a heart attack. It was during those first few PE classes that I started noticing something was different about me. Sure, we were all still growing up, but I was growing a bit different. I was almost completely hairless in comparison to the other boys, and my hair was growing lighter. I'd grown from brown hair to strawberry blonde in about two years. I would also start to notice a weird smell coming from the other boys. They really stank. It took me several weeks to notice that they weren't actually the ones who were different. I was. They smelled like people who were supposed to smell. My sweat, on the other hand, was sweeter. Not necessarily in a good way, but just, weirdly, sweet by comparison. Not sugary, but more like the smell of thick dairy. I hadn't thought about it. I just figured that was the way sweat was supposed to smell. It wasn't. I'd made one friend in high school, Darren, short guy who dropped in and out of social cliques like it was his job. I talked to him about it, and asked him to smell me, weird I know, and he agreed that something was off. He convinced me to talk to the school nurse, thinking it might be something like diabetes. I was scared he'd tell someone about it, but he never did. Good guy. I had a long chat with the school nurse, Anita. She was very reassuring. Apparently, puberty can have all sorts of weird effects on the human body. A sweet smell coming from your sweat was hardly the worst she'd seen, or in this case, smelled. It was weird, sure, but this was a weird time to be a human. Still, she decided to run a few blood tests just to make sure my iron levels and white blood cells were okay. As soon as she poked the needle through my arm, she recoiled and crinkled her nose. The syringe dropped to the floor, and I got up. She got a tissue and started to blow her nose repeatedly over and over. "'What the hell was that?' she exclaimed. "'What did you—' I had no idea what she was talking about. I looked at the drop of blood poking out of my arm, and I didn't notice anything odd. I just put a band-aid on it while Anita tried to regain her composure. "'Come back, uh—' "'Come back tomorrow,' she coughed. "'We'll talk more, okay?' But she was sick the next day. I felt uncomfortable with the whole thing, and I wanted to talk to my mom about it. But I also didn't want her to get worried. When you have someone in your life that is always on the breaking point, you make a habit out of stepping carefully. It took Nurse Anita the rest of the school week before she returned to her job. I was immediately summoned to the nurse's office. She'd lost weight. A lot of it. She was drinking water from a large bottle when I got there, and she had dark markings around her eyes. She didn't seem well, but she lit up as she looked at me. Anita asked me for a new blood test, and I agreed. She lined up four syringes. Her hands were shaking, but she regained her focus once the needle got closer to my arm. Step by step, she filled the syringes, but she seemed to get more and more excited as she did. I can swear she was sniffing my neck. The whole thing was weird, and I left as soon as she gave me a band-aid. She promised to run some tests and let me know as soon as she was done, she wanted me to return at least once a week for a checkup. Apparently, sweet-smelling sweat was a bigger deal than I had anticipated. I asked her if I should see a doctor, but she just shook her head. As I left the nurse's office, I looked back. She was standing in the doorway, staring at me from across the hall, Her eyes never left me. She was staring at my neck drinking from her water bottle. This time I told my mother. I had no idea how much she would overreact. Instead of talking to nurse Anita, she pulled me out of school the same day. She threw our entire lives into boxes, breaking at least half of our dinnerware in the process. In less than a weekend, she'd packed up everything and hired a truck I barely had the time to hug my grandparents goodbye before we were out of town. I was forced to switch a phone number, and my mother swore that if I didn't remove my social media accounts, she'd smash every touchscreen we owned. I'd never seen her like that before. And I was terrified. That's how we ended up in Sabre, Michigan. Of course my mom couldn't check on me all day long. I did get time to check on my social media. Darren, still in disbelief about me leaving so soon, told me things had gotten weird at school. Nurse Anita had started asking questions about where I'd moved, and when the principal couldn't reveal that information, she'd gotten aggressive. The police got involved, and it was revealed that she'd taken my blood samples home. Things got unclear at this point, but Darren, whose mom works at the sheriff's office, had spoken over dinner about Nurse Anita apparently drinking blood straight from the syringes. But that wasn't all. In the days that followed, she was taken into custody. She was doing some sort of hunger strike and couldn't even keep down water. She actually died from dehydration right there in the county jail, surrounded by paramedics trying to understand why her body was actively resisting an IV. By now, my mom and I had settled into a small three-bedroom apartment. I confronted her about Nurse Anita. And what happened? My mom finally opened up to me. "'You know what capsaicin is?' she asked. "'It is the thing in spicy food that makes your tongue and throat hurt. It is a kind of self-defense thing that just... is supposed to make us stay away. I'd heard about it, and I was aware of the concept. "'This thing that is supposed to make us stay away just makes it more enticing,' she explained. "'People can get addicted to it. Too many. It has the opposite of the intended effect. It became something to be desired instead of something that protects the plant. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I sort of was. I didn't want to think I was, but I was. Our family is different, she told me. I was hoping this wouldn't happen to you, but it did, and we had to move. She really did try to bring me a normal life. She tried not to worry, but whatever is inside me was growing extremely potent. I started to understand why our family had lived isolated, and why she wanted me to be careful when around others. As a kid, it wasn't as dangerous, but as a teenager, it was stronger than ever. That's why even when I was noticing my own smells, they'd gotten stronger. But the years passed. My mom got a job at a gas station, and I helped out as a farmhand and cherry picker. Things were going pretty well, all things considered, until last year. I was picking up my mom from the night shift, Early in the morning, when a truck on the opposite lane ran a red light, we were hit. It wasn't a bad hit, but it was bad enough to send us into a spin and into a nearby ditch. Mom had been looking through her purse and smashed her head against the passenger window, and I head-bashed the steering wheel. The passenger side of the rear half of the car was folded like origami. I barely even remember what happened next. I remember the truck driver coming to check on Mom only to drag her out on the pavement. I remember paramedics in a police car. I remember eyes looking at me, delirious and dark. Open, bloody mouths, tendons snapping, a sweet, flowery smell drowning out the gasoline pouring from the car. Red. I remember seeing a half-eaten face, slowly being torn apart. Eyes that used to comfort me, having lost their light. A slack-jawed nightmare having clothes and limbs torn apart and splayed on the concrete like a flattened toad. I don't remember much about getting away. I was chased through a field of wheat and threw up in a water bucket next to a well. I hid in a barn and covered myself in hay to dampen the smell of my blood. I remember a flashlight passing over me as three people left, desperately looking somewhere else. Bloody mouths, still chewing. People so large their eyes looked black. They were barely even breathing, their breath so short I couldn't see their chest move. I made it. I would never speak of this in person, as I don't want to risk anyone finding me. I've moved twice since that incident, and I'm starting to understand what I am. The problem is I've started to get cataracts. I know, it is at an early stage, but it is definitely there, and it is progressing rapidly. I'm going to need surgery. Someone has to operate on me. And I just... I fear I'll never wake up from that surgery. I have no idea what to do. I can't live like this. Constantly fearing someone will get too close and catch a whiff of me. No wonder my mom had to leave my dad. No wonder she was always afraid. You're all hunting me. You just don't know it yet. Am I the only person that gets that sudden feeling that they want to go home? And I'm not talking about the feeling at a party when you've run out of social battery, or when you're on the last day of vacation and start to miss the comfort of your own bed. I'm talking about when you're sitting on the couch of your own home, and that rush of anxiety smacks you in the face, like you're not where you're supposed to be. The feeling started for me about six months ago. about a year after my husband and I got married and moved into our new house. Before that, we've been living in a quaint apartment building for quite some time, so I was over the moon for the extra space. My husband, I'll call him Jay for privacy reasons, has always been a big supporter of anything that makes me happy. When we first toured the home, I knew it was definitely the place him and I could grow old in together. Beautifully designed architecture on the outside, an oversized, closed-in back patio with huge, natural light-giving windows, and my favorite feature being the sky-high vaulted ceiling that just made the whole house feel open and spacious. Lush greenery decorated the lawn, and the place looked straight out of fairy-tale dreams. The price was right in our range, and the location was less than 15 minutes from Jay's work. We immediately placed a bid on the house and moved in the following few weeks, at first, things went smoothly. I enjoyed hanging pictures and installing the bright blue curtains I had ordered. So giddy to turn this house into a home. But even with every inch smothered in decor that screamed me, it still felt like I was in a stranger's home. Another thing I should interject here is I don't have really anyone besides Jay. My childhood is extremely cloudy, with maybe one or two clear memories. I've considered therapy, but Jay insists that if my brain won't let me remember the past, there's probably something that I couldn't handle remembering, and to just live in the now. But, I digress. I chop my feelings of being a foreign tourist in my own home to being a normal adjustment period. That is, until about six months ago when it became less of a feeling of a transition to a feeling of fear and longing. It was almost like alarms ringing in my head, warning me and begging me to go home. Jay, do you ever get that feeling like you want to go home? I casually mentioned to him after he arrived home from work the following evening, after the weird feeling was twisting and turning in my body, like a towel being squeezed of every last drop of water. Of course, every day at work around 5 o'clock when I start missing my girl, he stated back to me kissing my forehead with a slight smirk. "'You're the sweetest,' I said, boasting a big grin. "'But not exactly what I mean. Like when you're here. Like, I don't know what it is, but this house just doesn't feel like home to me.'" Jay's face went flat. His smirk turned to a thin, apathetic line, and his eyebrows furrowed, cheeks speckling with splotches of red. "'It's just you adjusting.'" I feel perfectly at home here, and I'm sorry to hear you say you don't feel the same. You overthink every little feeling that streaks across your body, and get yourself all worked up. Seriously. And just relax. Jay placed his hand on my shoulder and squeezed just a bit too hard to be comforting, before making his way down the stairs to his self-appointed man cave. I stood frozen, shocked at his sudden mood change and mild aggression towards that subject. The only time he'd really ever gotten that way with me was when I would bring up the fog in my brain that coated my childhood memories. I once again decided it was best to go against the alert sounding off in my brain and plopped on the couch to watch TV. About 45 minutes into a light cartoon children's movie that I wasn't fully immersed into paying attention to and using more as background noise while I scrolled through Amazon on my iPad, I suddenly felt a shock slam through my skull. I reached up, smacking my head against the side of my head. The sensation felt like a tectonic plate shifting in my head, my ears ringing loudly, and my vision suddenly becoming blurred and disoriented. Before I could yell for Jay, I was thrown in a mental loop, spiraling straight into what I know now was a flashback from some time in my early teen years. The wind is cool, but not cold. It wraps around me like I am a pile of leaves, like the pale red and orange clusters that danced around the street in front of me. I can smell the gas of the school bus as it drives past, after letting a few other children and myself off. The crunch underneath my feet is the only noise I hear, as the other children, closer to the bus stop, are safely ushered inside their homes. I trudge down the seemingly endless road before a man, about ten years my age, approaches from the still and quiet scene around me. Hey, aren't you a little young to be walking home from the bus stop by yourself? He was about six foot, clean cut, wearing a grey hoodie and some Nike running shorts. Clearly in shape he looked like a college aged guy, and I had a cousin who had just started college, so I stopped walking not feeling the strange or danger I would typically feel being stopped by an adult. My mom actually started letting me this school year. I turned 13 this summer, so I'm practically an adult at this point. I responded, crossing my arms and widening my stance to show I was not to be messed with. But instead of him appearing to be intimidated, I was met with a loud snort and chuckle as his hand smacked his mouth to try to hide the humor from being overly expressed. As I stood there being laughed at, with the wind starting to kick up and scraping the leaves on the ground around me, I began to feel the anxiety bubble in my chest, and knew in my gut it was time to walk away, or run away for that matter. I don't want to be rude, but I really do need to get home. It was nice to meet you, I said politely, glancing down at my feet to avoid this gaze. His laughing came to a stark halt, leaving the wind as the only noise brave enough to leak around us. Sneaking a quick peek at his face, my cheeks began to burn when I saw his joyful grin he had worn, while chuckling, had fallen into a a pursed grimace and furrowed brow, an empty look glazing his eyes, lacking emotion entirely. Before I could react... He sprung forward, gripping my arm and dragging my thrashing, wiggling body along the asphalt, unable to free myself from his grip. Please, I just want to go home, I screamed, warranting no reaction from him, besides him continuing to grip my arm as we approached an old yellow Mustang. In several fluid moments, lacking the reflexes from fear and shock to escape, I was shoved into the back seat and handcuffed to the headrest of the passenger seat in front of me digging into an unzipped bag on the floor of the vehicle that appeared to be hastily put together half of the contents spilling out onto the ground a murmur of words i can't quite make out slipped through his lips when he found what he seemed to be looking for home isn't a place darling it's a person and i'm your home now he whispered into my ear before shoving a gag into my mouth and holding up a rag to my face giving me little choice but to breathe in the fumes My eyes became too heavy to hold before everything became dark. As the flashback came to an end, my heart racing and thumping in my chest so hard I felt like it was a bomb about to explode, fear and terror soaked my bones as tears flowed down my cheeks, dripping from my chin. Footsteps clomped from my right as Jay began ascending the stairs, having heard the sobbing coming from the living room. Paralyzed with fear, my husband, kidnapper, the man I had spent the majority of my years in a Stockholm Syndrome haze with, inched closer with every thump-thump that smacked inside my ribcage. Calm down, calm down, you can't let him know. Pulling myself together, I wiped the tears from my puffy, bloodshot eyes, and inhaled a deep breath, exhaling the stiffness in my muscles. Turning my head, Jay standing there with a puzzled and perplexed face, staring daggers like he could read my thoughts. I forced a giggle. Uh, sorry to worry you, babe. You know, these kids' movies always get me choked up. I swear the twist always turns on my waterworks. Relief flooded his face, and a softened look painted the previously hardened tension. You're such a softy baby girl. I'll go grab my laptop from downstairs and we can watch the next one together. That way I can comfort you with hugs and snuggles he said with a lightness in his voice as he stood there and smiled, waiting for me to accept his invitation. "'I'd love that, babe. I'll meet you back on the couch in just a few minutes. I'm going to grab us some movie snacks,' I chimed back at him, following his expression closely with my eyes, praying my answer would satisfy him. His eyes lit up and his grin turned to a full-blown smile stretched across his face as he nodded and headed towards the stairs to grab his laptop.' Following suit, I stood up from the couch, my legs trembling and shakily moved to the kitchen. After hearing him settle onto the couch, I shuffled quietly back into the living room, carrying a charcuterie board I had filled with meat and cheese in case. Being careful not to draw attention to my re-entry to the room, I stopped behind the couch, glancing at the image reflecting off the television of Jay looking down at his laptop, and me standing behind the couch, holding the wooden snack board. After a few moments of suffocating silence, I cleared my throat, and just as he lifted his head and began turning into my direction, I swung the tray with a crack against the side of his skull, tiny salami and sharp cheddar flying through the air with blood splattering around it. Immediately after, his body slumped forward, drenching his laptop in blood as he crumpled to the floor. I dialed the police, blubbering the address to the operator and begging her to hurry he still appeared to be breathing but clearly unconscious from the blow i did not want to be there for the hell that would engulf this house when he regained consciousness the police are almost here and after being missing for over 10 years i'm finally going home